This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 214 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott, it is August 8th. We're about five weeks away from, five and a half weeks away from from preseason hockey. So it's really, hopefully the NFL can kind of distract us in the meantime. And, and before we know it, uh, preseason will be here and, and hockey season will be here. In the meantime, media had a chance to speak with Jeremy Swayman uh, earlier today. And if there was anywhere you guys wanted to jump off from, from that interview. And first of all, I mean, obviously, how are you guys? It's been a, a little bit since we spoke. Yeah, I'm good. Just uh, getting, getting through the summer. Good. Jimmy Fund Radio Telethon coming up in a couple of weeks. Been doing some planning for that. Uh, yeah, my sister's wedding next month. Been planning for that. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm officiating it, which is going to be, uh, yeah, that's like a once in a lifetime experience. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Just trying, just hoping I don't screw it up. Well, um, at least you won't be upstaged by Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron kissing. That's true. As, as far as I know, they're not invited. So don't have to worry about them. You might want to invite them, honestly. They seem like a good time. Yeah. <laughs> they. So for those who I think most people probably get the reference, but Charlie McAvoy got married this past weekend. And uh, the most viral video to come out of it was Marchand and Bergeron dancing together and uh, Marchand sneaking a kiss in during it. So um, yeah, it certainly seemed like they're having a good time. That was. Actually, one of the things Swayman talked about when we uh, talked to him today said they didn't miss a beat, you know, amazed by their chemistry. Um, but, you know, he also said like that being at that wedding, it was kind of a like a reminder of what they built last year. And, you know, almost kind of sad because there's people who are there that aren't going to be on the team this coming season, obviously led by Bergeron but others who, who were there and, you know, are no longer on the roster. So, yeah. Like, um, I mean, Taylor Hall and Nick Foligno were both there. Um, Clifton was there. They, they even had, I believe Krug was there and uh, Tuka. So some people that have retired, some people that were traded um, this off season or previously. And yeah, he was, it, it was sad because I feel like he's such an optimistic person, Swayman, and he would start, like most of his answers, like we're kind of starting sad. And then he had to like add something happy at the end of it. So even with the contract stuff, he wasn't happy with how the arbitration, like he didn't want to go to arbitration. He said he was, I mean, he was pretty candid about that part. And then he was like, but I learned this or that along the way. And then when it came to the wedding, it was also a bittersweet situation, I think. And he, even when he was talking about his training that he's been doing in the off season, he said that it's all driven by not wanting to have that game seven feeling. It's still it's still very real and fresh uh, for a lot of these guys that they're having these really happy moments, but they're kind of still thinking like what could have been if we just did things right last year. Yeah, like like you mentioned, he he said he he learned a lot from the arbitration process, and you know thanked his agents and like the NHLPA lawyers, you know obviously the people who helped him kind of fight his case and make make his argument. Um, and he also said that. Uh, he never wants to go through it again and he wouldn't want any of his teammates or friends to go through it. And, you know, he said he, he didn't take it personally and he doesn't, you know, he's still happy to be a Bruin and he isn't worried about that relationship going forward. Like he prefaced it all with that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, this is kind of what we've, we talked about before when we talked about, you know, no one wants to go to arbitration because it, it is uncomfortable. You go into a hearing and the team has to sit there and argue why you're not worth the money you think you're worth and you have to sit there and listen to it. And it's like, no one likes that. Like the team doesn't like doing that because they know it's not going to be well received and players don't like hearing that. Like a lot of players, that's why they just leave negotiations to their agents and they don't actually want to be in the room because like they don't want to hear, you know, what the team's saying for why they don't deserve that money or whatever. And usually in a regular negotiation, the agent can serve as that buffer where like, okay, they're going to hear something from the team, but then they're not going to report every single word back to 
the player because they're not going to they don't want them getting caught up in all of it. But when you go to arbitration, there's really no choice like you you're there and you're going to hear it. And I think he hated the uncertainty of it because uh, he kept saying like he was hearing different things and he didn't know what was true and what was right. And then he also kept saying the, the phrase um, that was just going day by day, which kind of made me think he didn't necessarily know if they were going to come to an agreement in the first place. So like, cause they were pretty far apart in their numbers. The Bruins offered 2 million and he was asking for 4.8. So that those are, you know, especially with the cap situation the Bruins have, that that was a pretty big difference um, for them to be starting at. And they, they end up getting right around 3.5 for Swayman, but he, I think the uncertainty bothered him because he likes all of his teammates, like we just stated, and he didn't want to think about, not being a Bruin. So he said he's happy, but we talked about this last episode too. It's only a one-year deal. And because it's only a one-year deal, he's still a restricted free agent. So there's a chance if they don't extend him during the season, he could end up in arbitration again, which he said he absolutely doesn't want to do. And from that, I get that if, if that happens again, then, you know, he, that might actually burn the bridge and that would be really bad uh, for the relationship with the Bruins if they were to do that. So kind of makes me feel like there must be some sort of um agreement maybe between him and Sweeney that they'd want to get a new contract before the end of the season before restricted free agency hits again yeah and unless something severely goes wrong for Swayman this year I think that the Bruins will probably they'll just they'll choose him over over Allmark long term I would imagine I just feel like if, if push came to shove and you had to stick with one guy going forward if all things considered equal if both guys have another really strong year it just comes down to affordability and and youth and i mean obviously swimming would would get an increase in pay but i just you know i i think it's 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 an interesting situation that they found themselves in because what's going against swimming in the arbitration hearing is just what from an intangible perspective is like it's tough to demand 4.8 million or or hope for that when when you, there's a vesna trophy winning goalie on the roster and he's not you um, but at the same time, what's going for Swayman is his, his statistics are, are excellent. And also going into this coming season, the Bruins are going to need their goaltending to be maybe not as, as strong as it was last year. Cause that's just such a high bar to, to, to achieve again. But I think we all kind of agree that the Bruins might have trouble scoring this year compared to, well, especially compared to last year, but just in general, and they're going to have to rely on goaltending and defense more so this year than I think in the uh, following years when when they'll have more cap space to potentially go out and, and build a, a more offensive roster than they do right now. But but yeah, both both got, both got parties landed where they landed. And honestly, I, I think it's probably right around where it should be. Yeah, and Scott, you actually asked the question to Swayman about the, the goalie duo right I, I heard your voice in there yeah. um get in there to, to ask about the allmark the situation with allmark yeah i asked him you know like how do you because he for he was asked one question about it and he was like yeah like nothing's gonna split us up and then i followed up and asked basically like how do you balance sort of that friendship and great relationship you guys obviously have with also like a dis personal desire to want to be a number one goalie, want more playing time, whatever it might be. And he basically said like him and Allmark, the fact that they both have that desire is like what allows it to work because they do just keep constantly pushing each other. And they know that if either one of them slips up or gets comfortable or starts struggling, the other one's going to run with the job and start playing more games. And like, we, we even saw that in, in practice last year like it, things actually played out that way early in the season where for a little swimming got off to a little bit of a slower start and Allmark would get you know two games in a row or three out of four or whatever and and then swimming obviously had an injury situation too and that factored in but yeah when swimming got back and got up to speed it became more of a true rotation because they were both pushing each other and it they were both at such a high level that you didn't have to worry about, Oh dude, should we ride the hot hand? It's like, well, they're both the hot hands. So it doesn't really matter. Um, Except for in the playoffs. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I'm going to be curious. Like when we, whenever we get to talk to Montgomery, you know, which 
might not be until like training camp. Well, he but, might you know, actually be doing Jimmy Fun stuff. I know he we might. Have, he, he did he, last year. Yeah, we. I remember I was writing something about um, what he said at the Jimmy Fun because it, it, obviously it's about raising money. But during the conversation, real questions get asked, and um, I remember he was talking about lifestyle last year. So I mean, he does answer real questions that our hosts have. So yeah. So I'll be curious though, like if there's any sort of organizational shift in terms of being more open to a rotation in the playoffs. Um, because like, I know last year, every time Montgomery was asked, he said like, yeah, we're open to it, but I don't think we're going to do it. And then sure enough, they didn't. And whether they would have in the second, third round going forward, we'll never know. Cause they didn't get there. But I, I am curious, like if there's any sort of shift where they might be more open to it kind of from the start this year. Um, because it's one of those things, like I've talked to a few people just, you know, around the hockey world in general. And it's like, and I think even Bruce Cassidy said it um, when he was on with Gresham Fourier. Um, or no, he was on the Great Hill Show uh, when he brought the cup back to Massachusetts and said something along the lines of like, at some point, someone is going to have a true goalie rotation in the playoffs. And it's like, everyone's sort of just waiting to see who the first one who is going to be who tries it and succeeds and wins. But it's like that. I feel like that attitude is really prevalent where like a bunch of people will say, yeah, it's going to happen at some point, but then no one really seems to want to be the first one to really try it. So, you know, I thought last year it could have and should have been the Bruins. I made that case on here on Sunday skate that I thought they should have just stuck with the rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm curious, like if there's going to be any sort of, shift in philosophy and, and like more openness to it. Yeah. I mean, it could have saved the series. <laughs> it's what like we mentioned, like when you lose in game seven, obviously there's so many moments you can look back on, but, and there were a lot of coaching mistakes and that, that was probably one of them. Um, you don't want to, I know swim played for like what, two minutes in one of the other games, but essentially he was going in game seven after, <laughs> after not as playing, uh, you know, a, a lot of time before that. So, uh, he was put in a tough situation and especially with, with his answer to you today, Scott, where he was saying like they pushed each other and they'd be mad at each other if they both weren't trying to steal the job. Like that's just kind of how their relationship works and they understand. Um, I, I feel like when you go at it like that, the whole season, you, and then you go away from it, that's going to change your like psychology because you're expecting that reward for, you know, maybe doing the right things or, or, you know, it's your time to get in there and then you don't, then you change up something you did the whole season. It kind of throws things off. And a lot of the, the issues that came in the playoffs kind of seemed like mental mistakes that maybe were set off by decisions that coaches made. Yeah, I mean, I'm still not convinced that it was a lack of goalie splitting, strategic goalie splitting in the playoffs that did the Bruins in. I feel like I think what yeah. well, Allmark was potentially dealing with an injury and wasn't like we don't know what percent he was at. So like that adds into the fact that Swayman may have been your better option, but you're too afraid to go to the rotation. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would have gone to Swayman earlier than they did. All I'm saying is that I feel like Scott, you, you kind of alluded to the fact that you you recommended they go with the with the the more traditional split that they did in the regular season, and I still think that 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 would have presented its own challenges um, if if they were dead set on just splitting without really considering if somebody's hot or somebody's not feeling it. Like I feel like if it was every other game, that brings challenges. What I what I thought they should have done is, and this is what I recommended too, and it was kind of similar to what you were saying, but like you, you go, you go with the guy who's playing the best. And if he falters, you don't give him too much time to, to, you just, you just have to go to the other guy. I mean, like Allmark played well up until game five in that series. And he had that awful turnover in game five. And I think that's sometimes it's an unforgivable mistake and it shows uh, signs of mental fatigue or physical fatigue, whatever, but I would have gone to Swayman in game six. So yeah, I think they went to him too late, but it's, but it can't just be, it can't just be, in my opinion, I mean, look at Vegas, like Vegas went through five goalies, but it wasn't a, a goalie split. It was 
based on necessity and who is playing well and whatnot. So I just think you have to have a feel for it. If you think a guy is struggling, he's not going to be the best chance to win, go with the other guy. But it, it shouldn't be this guy's going to play no matter what every game, and it shouldn't be we're going to split these guys no matter what. Like I think you just need to have a feel for it. And I just feel like the Bruins failed having a feel for that tandem going into game six against Florida. And this is not to just rehash last spring, but while we're on this topic of it, I just feel like it's not a black and white answer. Yeah. But like also if Allmark was a little bit banged up, it could have been nice to get him rest. You know, like they could have rotated in order to get rest, which obviously in the playoffs becomes more complicated with the rest versus riding someone. And um, also like the workload during the regular season was, less for him than it was in the playoffs. So adding an extra workload could mess with, you know, health or recovery and things like that. So there was a lot that, that goes into it. And I wonder what they'll, they'll do this season, assuming they make the playoffs and uh, we're getting way ahead of ourselves now, but um, in terms of talking about that goalie rotation, um, I'm, I'm sure we're going to be seeing more goalie hugs this year. Cause he sounded like that's his, like his swim's favorite part of, <laughs> of uh, winning is the goalie hug. So. Yeah, we as we, I think Brian said on the last podcast, we might not be seeing sixty five of them though. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's all it's bringing bringing it full circle though back to Swayman and his contract, like how the rotation you know works out this year is obviously going to have a huge effect on what Swayman's next contract looks like because he ends up with only a one year deal this time around. And yeah, Bridget, you mentioned like he could be a restricted free agent again, so he still doesn't have, you know, a ton of leverage in terms of obviously he can't go to the open market, but you know, if it's like, if it's a true split, then it's, they're sort of in the same situation where it's like, I'm sure Swayman is going to want to make the case that he can be a number one and the Bruins can kind of counter and be like, well, but you haven't actually really had to do that yet. You've just split time. And from the Bruins perspective, it's like, they, if that's, you know, if Simon's due for another raise next year, then yeah, like it does kind of force your hand even more to potentially move one of them. And we assume Almark would be the one who's more likely to get traded because he is older. And it's like, you know, I think Swayman can be a number one. Like I, I feel like he's really good in all the underlying metrics and regular metrics. They're all there. But if you're the Bruins, it's like there could in theory, like be a question about workload if he's, you know, if he's still only splitting time or how does he handle being a starter in the playoffs when he, you know, so far it, his playoff experience has been coming in, you know, almost in like emergency situations and replacing Ulmark after struggles, whether that was last year, you know, uh, 2022 already being down two games to none or this past year where it's, you know, the series is slipping away and he gets thrown in in the game seven. And it's like, he still hasn't actually started a series. So that's also still kind of like an experience that he hasn't had that. I think I would think the Bruins would want to see before, you know, they really go all in on like a, if we're talking like a long-term contract and committing to him as the number one going forward and, you know, moving on from all Mark. And they and he mentioned when when asked about Bergeron because obviously you know he we haven't heard what he was going to say about that yet so he was asked about Bergeron and and like you know the the next group of leaders and he like he put himself in the category and he said we're we're going to be in the organization for a long time and we're going to try to keep his legacy going but like that kind of to me showed me he wants to get a long term deal done because um, he was considering himself in that crew he called you know, like the young core that's coming up. And he said, we, so I, I think he really wants to stay here. Um, he's mentioned before how he likes it here. Obviously that's what most people say, but um, I think he genuinely means that. And uh, wants to be part of, you know, the group of McAvoy and, you know, even Pasternak, even though he's a little bit older and all the other guys that they've kind of recently lo locked up for a long time. Uh, who wants to be part of that. So this reminds me of a, of a, of a question that I, I wanted to ask you guys. And we've talked a lot about, you know, the Bruins going into next year. And I just feel like Swayman 
and the defense are, are a good place to, to talk about right now because we've talked a lot about the forwards. And and on NHL.com, and, and now that we're getting closer to, to, to training camp and, and all these things, you start to see them, uh, the NHL doing their, their – 32 teams and 30 day previews. And, and you're starting to see people start to illustrate what these rosters are going to look like and what, what to expect from them. And I actually haven't heard one quote unquote NHL analyst or expert predict the Bruins to miss the playoffs this year. And I'm sure that there are people out there, but if you, if you, if you were to watch TSN or Sportsnet or, or anybody on NHL, like anybody who, whose job it is, is to, to analyze the league, everybody's got the Bruins as like, yeah, they're not going to be as good as last year, but guess what? That's an impossible bar to set them to because nobody in NHL history had the season they had last year. So if you look at the Bruins compared to the landscape of the NHL, how do they stack up? And, and a lot of people still have the Bruins expected to make the playoffs. It's not going to be an easy journey, but the Bruins defense and goaltending is yes, Bridget. Do you remember last year when people picked them not to make the playoffs? <laughs> yes. In particular, some New York writers that picked them to not even make the playoffs. Yeah, that was clearly – I mean, we laughed at that at the time, to be honest with you. Yeah, uh, we did. Yeah. And, and, and the roster that they that they had in, in the springtime was a lot different than the roster they had to start the season with. But, but yeah, people – to your point, people thought the Bruins were going to miss the playoffs. Why? Because Martian and McAvoy were expected to miss the first half of the season and thought that that would be too much for the Bruins to overcome, that they were getting older, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? By all accounts, the Bruins just flipped the entire script on their head. Those players came back earlier than anticipated. The players who struggled the year before bounced back. Uh, age was not a problem. But in any event, people – or the Bruins defensive goaltending is still far better than a lot of the teams who have better offense than Boston going into this year, at least on paper. And it just reminds you of the value of goaltending goal and defense and that the Bruins just need to find ways to score just enough. But anyway, I, I just want to, to bring this up to you guys because it's interesting. It seems so doom and gloom for us. And we've talked about the Bruins are still good, but just how important is it that the Bruins defense and goaltending, it really is head and shoulders above, I would say 95% of the league this year. Yeah. And, and part of, you know, people predicting them to still make the playoffs is like how much of a buffer there is for them to lose and slide back and still make it last year. They could have been 43 points worse and they would have made the playoffs. Like you literally, you could have just flipped 21 of their wins, a third of their wins to losses and they still would have made the playoffs. Like it's, it's actually insane. That, so, that like doesn't even, I didn't even look at it. Like I, I didn't check into that, but that's insane. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I think we all expect a pretty big, like even if they ran the same team back, I'd be like, there's going to be a step back because you just, you don't win 65 games. Like that's just not going to happen again. So add in everything they lost. And it's like, yeah, it's going to be a fairly significant, step back in terms of wins, losses, and points, but they can afford a pretty big one and still be in the top eight. And and I think they should be, you know, and you're right. It's the defense and goaltending that's at the top of the list. Generally every year, if you look at the teams that give up the fewest goals, for the most part, they're playoff teams. Like very rarely is there a non-playoff team that ranks in like the top, three to five in goals against. So the Bruins led the league last year by comfortable margin and goals against. Now, obviously those losses affect them there as well, right? Like they're not going to have as much possession. They're not going to be pinning teams back as much, but that deep, the anchor of that, you know, Allmark Swayman, a really good decor that is pretty much back, you know, like, yeah, you subtract Orlov, but he wasn't there until late in the season. You subtract Clifton, but Shattenkirk's a perfectly fine replacement and possibly even a better fit next to Forbert because of his puck moving. So, like, that should still be there. Yeah, losing Bergeron's huge. We know the impact he makes defensively. But they still have defensively responsible forwards. So they should be able to do a good job preventing teams from scoring. And maybe it's not quite to the level of last year, 
maybe Allmark isn't winning the triple crown again, but it should still be at a fairly high level. And if they're a top five to seven defense in the NHL, there's a really good chance they're going to be a playoff team. And even if they're fairly low scoring, like you, you win low scoring games and you get in that way. So, um, you know, and like, they're not going to be one of the lowest scoring teams because they have David Pasternak. So assuming he stays healthy, if Brad Marchand, you know, looks a little more like Brad Marchand of the past and not Brad Marchand recovering from double hip surgery, then your, your offense isn't going to be one of the worst in the league. It's going to be, I don't know, middle of the pack, maybe even better than that. So that that's a recipe for a playoff team. And then obviously from there, we can go into like whether they're actually a contender or whatever, but there's a whole season to play out between now and, and, and then to, you know, see where they're at come playoffs. In terms of the, you mentioned the goals against fewest goals against, they were the only team with fewer than 200 goals against in the whole league. I mean, some teams gave up over 300. They gave up 177, which um, was the best by quite a bit. Um, and they're, they were plus 128 uh, goal differential, which is crazy and obviously not going to happen again. But it's kind of funny because we just were going through the whole season kind of just on the ride. And I still can't believe they only had 12 losses like that, that like 65 wins. Like you think about, Oh, that's a lot of wins. But like, when you just look in the loss column and there's only 12, like it's like, how did they even manage to only lose 12 games in regulation? I, I don't know how I, I just, I don't know. It's yeah, insane. That's why it never happened before. And it probably, it, it may not happen again. And honestly, if it does, I wouldn't be surprised if the team that accomplishes that feat won't have the same struggles that the Bruins had in the playoffs. I mean, I don't know. It's it the I want to sit here and say like the NHL is just it's sometimes you just it's everything falls your way and and everything didn't fall the Bruins' way last year necessarily. I mean, we just talked about it. Like you started the year without two major players, you had injuries along the way. I mean, you had Jake, you were though Jake DeBrusque, who's a top six player, top line winger for them last year for a couple of months. Like they had their injuries. I mean, so they had their hurdles, but it just on the scoreboard, just everything went their way. And, and, and sometimes it's just like you catch, can you just catch a team on an off night? Can you catch a team on a, on a third game of a four game road trip? Can you catch it? Can that happen all year long? No. And the parody's too, too, too great in the NHL for that to, to be a reality to just win 65 out of 82 games is really insane. But as we, as we see uh, that can come with its challenges afterwards, because you, you really should face a lot of adversity or at least more than the Bruins did last year on the scoreboard. And and I think they'll probably get that this year. So um, they may be a better team off for it. And, and they're a much different team. Like we talked about it before when they collapsed in 2010 and came back and won a cup a year later, like you had a lot of the same players on that team. This is this really is like it's not only did you experience the loss of last year, but you don't really have much roster carryover to to feel it throughout the lineup. It's not like they can galvanize behind that, like guys, we need to come back this year and 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 redeem ourselves. Because truthfully, I mean, I would say what forty five percent of the roster has changed over from last year. Yeah, I still think that there's a significant chunk though that can you know start with the goalies again, most of the decor, and then you're. Pasternak, Martian, Coyle, Frederick, um, DeBrusque, Zaka. Like, there's still enough guys there that I think can draw on that. Enough guys who are in key roles and, you know, important positions and going to be playing a lot of minutes for you. So you're right. It's it's probably, it's almost certainly more turnover than 2010 to, to 2011. But I still think there's enough there that, you know, if these guys take the right approach and take, you know, like what Swayman laid out today of wanting to do everything possible to avoid that, having that feeling again, they, you know, they should have enough guys who can kind of rally around that. Um, and some of the guys coming in, I think are going to be motivated too. like, you know, Shattenkirk's won a couple four and he talked about how, you know, he went out to Anaheim, didn't even have a chance, was on a rebuilding team. And like, he wants that feeling again. Uh, James Van Riemsdyk's never won a cup. I'm sure he would like to. So 
you know, Lucci, we know how much Lucic wants, wants that, wanted to be back here, wants to kind of relive those glory days and, and have that feeling again. So I, I think they will be able to use it as motivation, but um, you know, that like that motivation, I don't think can like fully outweigh talent. So it still comes back to like, is there, is there going to be enough talent left here for them to, you know, really be able to have a team that can make a run. Cause we've talked about that, right? Like highlighting the teams that had record seasons and blew it in the playoffs and then won the next year, whether it was the lightning from 2019 to 2020 or the red wings from 96 to 97. But I think if you, if you went through those rosters, I think to Brian's point, you'd also find probably a lot more consistency and not so many top players um, departing in between. Yeah, but as part of this conversation, we were talking when we were talking about how um, last season when the Bruins started out, they weren't, you know, they had a lot of guys uh, that weren't av- available to play in the first month. But this year, correct me if I'm wrong, everybody's pretty healthy going into the season. I know we talked about Lindholm potentially having something going on with his foot, but as far as we know, it's not going to affect him his starting time. Um, so I mean, I feel like the team is heading into this season. Uh, in a better situation health-wise than they were last year. Not not personnel-wise, obviously, uh, for all the things we've talked about, but health-wise, everybody seems to be doing okay. Yeah, I mean, the, the Bruins haven't announced any surgeries. And, like, they for guys who are on the roster, they have to disclose that. So, um, yeah, it doesn't seem like anyone – minor procedures that, you know, they don't have to announce anything, but generally anything that's going to cause guys to potentially – miss the start of the season or whatever like they they put out a press release at some point and we're now you know so far into the off season that it would be pretty shocking if someone had a surgery now like those all yeah because that's something you do in may yeah exactly because all of those um like marshawn surgery grizzlicks surgery those all happened in i believe it was may last last year as soon as the off season came uh, they wanted to get those done pretty much as quick as possible to start the recovery process. So seems like everybody's pretty, pretty good to go. I'm, I'm guessing that Lynn Holmes issue with his foot was something that could heal itself with rest and, you know, rehab. So. I want to prompt you guys with a question and I feel like maybe we should try to dig a little deeper here because I think the obvious answer to my question, which is if there's one, cause you talk about personnel, if there's one player to follow this year where you want to, you want to see just how that pans out and, and, and what they're capable of doing. I feel like the number one answer w- would be Pavel Zaka. I think he's going to be asked to play first line minutes and Bridget, as you've mentioned in the past, whether it's technically the second line or not, he's going to be with Pasternak. So I, I think we all kind of call that the number one line. That's an easy answer, I think, for just about everybody. We all want to see how that pans out. So beyond Pavel Zaka, is there a player that you're really just very fascinated to see how they perform this year? Bridget, you want to go first? Sure. I have, I have a couple, so I can... I'm going to say first one pops into my head is Charlie Coyle. Um, because he's also in an elevated role. And whereas we've seen Zaka kind of has a similar skill set to a little bit of Bergeron and a little bit of Krejci. Coyle has a completely different style of playing center uh, than those two guys do. And uh, he hasn't been in that role. And so he's going to be someone that he's mature. And I think he can step up and we saw him step up in the playoffs, but he's somebody that I'm really interested to see the chemistry and wherever he ends up, whoever he ends up between um, will mostly be forming new chemistry. So um, he's, He's older now. He's he's in his early 30s, and he'll have to become a leader. I'm pretty sure, like I mentioned before, Frederick follows him as a leader. I think some of the younger guys um, tend to follow along behind him because he's he's very you know he's a likable guy. Um, seems to be pretty smart, so he's going to have to become fill some of the leadership void. I think. Yeah, I, I already mentioned him, but for me, it's Brad Marchand, who we think is probably going to be the captain. And on the ice, you know, 
what kind of season does he have? Because last year was a good season for him, no doubt about it, but it wasn't prime Brad Marchand. You know, it wasn't 90 to 100 point pace. Can he get back to that level? We we think he's going to be healthier now that he has a full offseason, a full regular offseason. He can do all his usual training, not be recovering from hip surgery. So does that get him back to something approaching prime Brad Marchand? Can he still get there at 30, 35 years old? Or, you know, do you settle, do you settle for a really good Brad Marchand, but not quite that, you know, top five to 10 forward in the NHL level? Um, you look at this offense and it's like, boy, it sure would be a huge help if that prime Marchand who's, you know, top five to eight in MVP voting is still in there. Um, but that's also a lot to ask of someone who's 35 years old. So I'm really fascinated to see what his season's going to look like. I don't expect him to like seriously decline or anything like that, but it's, it's to me, it's like the difference between him being at an elite level and him just being at like really good level. Um, so that that's where my mind goes. I'll stick up front as well. I mean, I I have I have a mind to to say Charlie McAvoy just because of I I feel like he battled last year just trying to. I mean, he still had a phenomenal season across the board, but as far as like getting back up to speed for himself and his own personal standards that he sets for himself, I just feel like he may not he he just wasn't able to have the. I don't know. I mean. The, the the entire ceiling that he that he could reach last year just because for, again for his own standards because he had to he had to battle back from injury and and, and get up to speed but so I, I want to see how McAvoy bounces back if he can you know find his way back into like you know top five in Norris voting as opposed to what was he uh, outside the top fifteen maybe or top twelve in Norris voting last year which made sense right because he didn't have a full season under his belt and and. You know, it's just I just feel like next year he should get back into that top three, top five Norris Norris votes. But I think up front for me, I I want to see how Morgan Geeky does and if he ends up becoming a a really solid middle six forward for them. Because I think if the Bruins want to have a an offense by committee this season with the lack of high end depth that they've lost this past off season, I think you're going to need him to emerge as a as a true bonafide number three centerman. Um, who can potentially even be a, a second line player at some point in his career. Because uh, if he, if he kind of flops, um, the Bruins just go from having, they just, they might not have the the bottom six scoring it, it, and, and it's unfair to put it on him, but he does seem like a player that the Bruins third line production may ride or die with. If, if he's a player that, that has a, a higher ceiling that he hasn't reached yet, or if he has a, just a, a miss a miss uh identification i suppose by don sweeney i i, I actually am optimistic that he's going to be a pretty good player for them but until we see it i don't know so i'm curious to see how that plays out yeah a couple others that came to mind for me one we we covered pretty extensively last episode but trent frederick you know can he can he drive a line can he run with third line center spot um and then two that i, I want to see like can they stay at or close to the level they were at last year, David Pasternak, is he going to once again be, you know, an elite scorer in the Rocket Richard conversation, you know, up there with anyone not named Connor McDavid in terms of production? Like, I, I think he can do that, but, you know, let's see it for a second year in a row. And another one, Brandon Carlo, who last year had a really strong season after a couple inconsistent ones. And, you know, that second pairing with him and Lindholm was an elite shutdown pairing last year. If Carlo can play at that level again, it should be once again this season. So interested to see, like, is that Carlo now here to stay and, you know, put up that kind of really strong defensive season year after year? Or, you know, with maybe not as great of a team around him on the ice every time out, does some inconsistency start to creep in again? It's funny because we all picked different people. And I was thinking when Brian started talking about, you know, thinking about a defenseman that falls in that the category of this question, 
I thought of Hampus Lindholm first um, because if you guys recall, Hampus Lindholm when when McAvoy was out was just started off the season so strong, and his offensive production was great. His skating was great. He looked like a really great player for the Bruins, especially in that early part of the season. And then he started to, to trail off a little bit. And we mentioned in the playoffs, he wasn't looking like himself. So for him having a more consistent season where he could look like that player that he looked like um, early in the 2022, 23 season could be huge for the Bruins because you're talking about a fall off in offensive weapons. Well, I feel like campus Lindholm could be a bigger offensive weapon for them than he was towards the end of the season last year. He has the skill set and he has a skating ability and he's got good vision. So uh, if he steps up and plays the way we know he can, he he's somebody that could contribute for, for them offensively. Yeah. And, and Lindholm was a guy who, once again, just and we found out that of the injuries last year that came out, he he was battling a broken foot, but he was somebody who he just was a shell of himself in the playoffs for one reason or another. And you could just tell because his skating was is, is his strongest suit, uh, his ability to gain separation, especially around around in the net. And, and at times last last postseason, he just I mean, he was just falling over himself without people on him. And 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 so but and that's not and that's not the kind of player he is. So you, you have to no. expect that he's gonna come out looking better now that he's healed, um, looking more like he did last season in the early parts of the season. Right. And and, and you know, the good news is he may have had a strong uh, a poor postseason, but he had an unbelievable regular season. And we talk about Norris votes, he had more Norris votes than, than Charlie McAvoy. So and you can't get to the postseason without a strong regular season. So yes, Bridget, I think Lindholm is, is a guy that the, again, it's it's one of the reasons why you look at the Bruins forward forward depth on paper and, and you sit there and you say to yourself, it leaves there's a couple of key holes. Could those holes become smaller if certain players end up surpassing certain expectations? Sure. But I I haven't I haven't looked at this Bruins team and thought to myself, well, there's no Bergeron, there's no Krejci, so there's no chance that they make the playoffs because they did it without Krejci the year before. And so it's really – or, you know, even to extend that to Taylor Hall, Tyler Bertuzzi. Like, like, yes, they lost a lot, but I've seen lesser teams, lesser forward teams make the playoffs before. But the most important thing to me is, like, you look at these teams around the league. Yeah, some team – first of all, nobody has a David Pasternak. There's only a couple of teams that can say they have a player – that's of Pashnak's caliber or better up front. Um, so let's not let's not forget that he's on your team, right? And Brad Marshan, right? We want to see how he plays without Bergeron, like Scott talked about him being older. But the Bruins have a couple of key guys. They might have the depth that other teams do offensively, but I guarantee you most of those teams, they just don't have. You don't have a Charlie McAvoy, Hampus Lindholm, one-two punch where they're on the ice two-thirds of the game, one way or the other. You don't have the, the Jennings, the, the, the Jennings Trophy winning goaltending tandem the Bruins have so again like they need this team needs to stay healthy all over the ice to, to make the playoffs but they have the goaltending and the defense that literally nobody else in the league really can boast and so it they don't have to have a high octane offense they just need to have a good offense and look get to the playoffs and see what happens but there's a long ways till then but I just it's it is interesting because I just feel like we haven't talked about the defense much and the goaltending because we haven't had to because we know what they have and we focus on the offense, but man, I'll, t- I'll tell you, like if, if, if other teams could have the, what the Bruins have on the back end and in the net, I mean, they, they, they'd be calling for a Stanley cup. It's just that we, 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 we've gotten used to it, but, and we've gotten, and we know how much loss they had up front, but it's this, this Bruins team is definitely good enough to compete. Yeah. I mean, it's like, look at the Islanders making the playoffs pretty much every year. And it's like, how do they do it? Well, they have really good goaltending. They play really good defense, but by the way, like with a decor that doesn't have a Charlie McAvoy or arguably even a Hampus Lindholm and with a forward group that doesn't have a David Pasternak or even a Brad Marchand. So again, yeah, to, to your point, it's like there's still enough high end talent there and a foundation of defense and goaltending that you, in my mind, you should be a playoff team. I'm not expecting them to, win the president's trophy or be one of the top seeds, but I think they should be in the field for sure. And te- and also a Jack Adams winning coach. 
I mean, we, we haven't really talked about that much. And obviously th- those are all awards that they don't mean as much as the Stanley Cup. So uh, obviously they going out in the first round of the playoffs doesn't necessarily show that you're the best coach of all time, but clearly he was doing something right during the regular season. Um, and I going into his second year, it'll be interesting to see the dynamic that they have with him. Cause he seemed to always be the nice guy cause they were always winning. So what kind of a coach is he when they're not winning as much, you know, what, where does he have to step in and do things differently than he did last year? Um, because inevitably it's not the same team and he's going to have to change up the way he does things a little bit. Uh, and he's going to have to pull strings and put lines together and, you know, make, make some tough decisions potentially along the way tougher than what he had to do last year. The, the coaching is definitely something we haven't talked about. That is for sure. That's another, that's another area where we can talk about their deficiencies in the postseason, lack of adjustments or, or personnel decisions that we feel like they could have made or, or whatnot. But I mean, yeah, Jim Montgomery is, if nothing else, right. He has shown that he can get the best out of guys, certainly in the regular season. And, and as I mentioned earlier, we can't look, we can't look to next April because we have to focus on, I say we like we're on the team, (laughs) but, um, but the Bruins can't focus on next April. They have to focus on, on September and then October and November in that order and not look too far ahead. But Jim Montgomery has shown that uh, he's, he can, he can optimize a roster. And so can he, can, can Jim Montgomery turn, can he, can he get, you know, Milan Lucic to put up 20 points? I don't know. He put up 17 last year under Daryl Sutter. Um, Can he get, can he get Jesper Boquist and Morgan Geeky to, to reach their ceilings? I mean, he did it with, he did it with Trent Frederick last year and you can sit there and say it was Pablo Taylor. Zaka Ball as well. Well. Pablo Zaka is Pablo somebody Zaka. that he put in the right situation to succeed last right. year. Yeah. And like with Trent Frederick, you can say he was with Taylor Hall with Pablo Zaka. You can say he was with David Pasternak and, and, and those, those guys leads to production production for those guys. But, but yeah, I mean, Montgomery installed, instilled trust in those guys and, and he got the best out of them. So he's gonna have to do that again this year. And, and yeah, I mean, you go, we go into this season ultimately, like, again, we know, we know what this team was on paper as recent as, th- recent as three months ago. So we get the loss, but we, we, we haven't really just taken a minute to, 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 to recognize what they are going into the season with. And what they're going into this season with is a, is a top five decor. It's a top two, probably three, but maybe probably top goaltending tandem. And, and yeah, and, and, and a very, very, um, capable and established coaching staff, especially in the regular season. So, um, and, a and, capable and have the forwards. what's that? And, and capable management that, I mean, I even Swayman mentioned today, how, even though negotiations and everything were something he didn't want to go through that he still thinks that they have really capable management that wants to do what's best for the team. And, uh, Don, t- talking about Don Sweeney, I assume, um, though there's other other people involved in uh, making moves and, and trying to put the best team together that they can with the restraints that they have. Um, it's not like we're good. It's not like the Red Sox, right? I hate to bring the Red Sox into this, but it's not like at the trade deadline, you just go, ah, you know, it's, it's good enough. Like they're not, he's not Heimbloom. He's going to be working his butt off to try to find ways to make the team better. If they're in that position come trade deadline that it seems like, okay, well there might just be this player short. They're going to do it. Um, he's a smart GM. They trust him after last season, even though some of the business side of things, they're not happy or Swayman wasn't happy with. Um, he said there wasn't any ill will. And I think he still trusts Don Sweeney to, to do some, to, to do the right thing that, to help the team. So I feel like they, as a group from management to coaching to players all do kind of feel like they're working together and have the same goal. Like unlike the Red Sox, unfortunately, I feel like they don't, Um, but that's that we are in baseball season. So that's why I'm going to end up there. But um, by the way, random housekeeping note on the coaching staff, the Bruins still need a D coach. John Gruden left to become head coach of the Toronto Marlies in the AHL and uh, I'm sure they have someone in mind and, you know, are probably working towards finalizing it, but that has gone on longer than, than I was anticipating. They haven't announced anything yet. 
and you and you liked what he brought to the table last year, Scott, right? Activating the uh, was it activating the defense more? Certainly in the power play. Yeah, uh, I, I think he was a big part of getting the defense more involved offensively. I think, you know, the the power play was him and Montgomery working together, and obviously there were stretches where the power play was great, and then there was that long drought late late in the regular season where, you know, you kind of wonder if they could have done more to try to jumpstart that a little bit earlier. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, you know, John Gruden was definitely an asset for them last year. So, you know, my guess is Montgomery probably wants someone who has, you know, a similar approach in terms of wanting defensemen to to be active. I think that's just in Montgomery's style, go back to anywhere he's been as a coach. Um, But, yeah, obviously – Whatever they have in mind, it uh, has not been finalized yet. And I, I think they like Adam McQuaid where he is. But we, we, when you did speak to Mason Laura, he talked about how good a job that Adam McQuaid did helping him in his development. So that's someone who might be able to kind of work with the younger players because obviously Adam McQuaid, not that far removed from playing in the NHL, and obviously a really great defenseman for the Bruins. I, I don't know if maybe he'd be considered or if they really like him in that role, or maybe he doesn't even want to leave that role with player development. Um, so I, who knows? Yeah. He, he was the first name I thought of when Gruden left, but to your point, I think they, I think they do really like him where he is in player development. I think he's been really good in that role. And I think McQuaid really likes that role. I think he likes being like hands-on with prospects and, you know, getting out to their colleges or junior teams. Yeah, I and, see and him it, often at yeah. Hockey East games, so. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I imagine they're both pretty happy with, with where that is, but I guess it could still be an option for, for sure. Like, I'm, you know, if we're thinking about that possibility, like, I'm sure obviously they did. All right, so if, for Bruins, for Bruins fans listening, what is something that, that they could be looking forward to here in the next in the next three, four, five weeks here. I mean, obviously, like I said, training camp isn't isn't too far away. Uh, are there any other uh, times where the Bruins are going to be hitting the ice at some point this summer, gearing up for training camp? No, really not until uh, rookie camp, which is like the week before training camp. That's out that's out in Buffalo, um, and they play they do like a, a few practices, and then there's the kind of like three or four team tournament. Where they'll play. They call it like games. the prospects challenge or something like that. Something. Challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. Um, yeah, that's kind of it though. Like really, nothing until September. Obviously, all their con- internal contract situations are now settled. So, you know, I guess we're still waiting for some sort of announcement from Krejci. If he even makes an announcement, I could see Krejci just like disappearing <laughs> and not, not telling anyone what he's doing, or you know, at least not like not saying publicly. Obviously, I think he's he's told the Bruins what he's doing, but um, at least publicly, like, I don't think he, I don't think he wants to do like a press conference like Bergeron did. I don't think he needs the Bruins social media team to do a whole week of like devoted posts to him. Um, I kind of think crazy would be happy to just sort of fade away into the South Carolina sunset and, you know, not be in the spotlight. Well, let me yeah, ask you not- though. No, go ahead, Bridget. He's not one for for the spotlight. He's he's shy. He's yeah. very one of the more shy people we talk to. He's definitely not. But I I, I mean, look, th- this is a topic we haven't talked about, and I guess I'll I'll give you get, get you guys' two cents on it. We all are on the same page, Krejci. To your point, we're like ninety nine point percent sure he's done. If he weren't done and he were to come back, I mean, I still think Pavel Zaka is probably gonna maybe be looked at as like the top center on a scoring line. Right. I mean, would it, would it bump coil down to a, would it, would it, would crazy be a third line? Like I, what would you even do in that situation? Like it, it, it's weird. Cause at this stage in his career, like I don't think he's an upgrade uh, over Zaka. He's an upgrade over coil from an offensive standpoint, but coils probably better defense. I mean, I, I don't, that would be a, 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 a a post Bergeron existence, but still having Krejci is something I just, my brain's not capable of comprehending right now at this stage in Krejci's career. So I don't even know where you'd want to fit him in. If you were to come back, I guess we, until that door closes, we should at least entertain 
what the Bruins would look like. Well, I mean, we talk about they're, they're clearly a number one center shy, at least as we speak right now. We don't know what Zaka becomes. But, I mean, you gain I think Zaka good- becomes Bergeron and Krejci stays exactly where he was, like with Pasternak. Krejci stays with Pasternak, you would think? I think so. Yeah, I think so. And I think you, I think you can convince yourself that Zaka is a close enough player to Bergeron that that line makes sense, like with him centering uh, Marshawn and DeBrusque. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I can see that. I think that that probably is the lineup that make the most sense is Marshawn, Zaka, DeBrusque, Van Riemsdyk, Krejci, Pasternak. It's not a lot of speed for Pasternak to play with. I was going to say, that's true. Faster left wing on that line somehow. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. Or would you go Martian, Krejci, DeBrus? I don't know. I I do think if Krejci's back, he wants to be playing with Pasternak. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you could do that. And I I think, you know, based on like the, the comments Krejci made to that Czech newspaper, and just some things I've heard, like it, it does sound like he's open, like maybe not totally slamming the door shut right now and like could be open to playing later in the season or something. But I think that's more with an eye towards, as we've said before, the world championships in Prague next spring. I think the, the world championships is something that means more in Europe than it does here because we're consumed by the Stanley cup playoffs at the time in the spring. Um, I think it would mean something to crazy to play in that in his home country, but that means he's like, he's not coming back to the Bruins then because the, the playoffs are going on. So if he comes back to the Bruins and their playoff team, which they, we think they would be, you can't do both. You can't play in the Stanley cup playoffs and play in the world championship in Prague, unless you're, planning on an early exit right because some guys go after losing in the first round but like what kind of plan is that that that's not a plan you got to pick one of the others so i i think if Krejci plays at all it would be with an eye towards the world championships and not towards the stanley cup which means by the way guys you forgot the, the option of the check line staying together <laughs> I at least a perfectly good center, probably, but you're already were thinking you weren't going to have Krejci anyway. So if you could keep the check line together, throw coil in between Marshawn and DeBrusque, that's an option. I mean, it's not the best option, probably, but it's an option if he's back. It, it gets JVR down to the third line, which is yeah. what what we said would be the ideal spot for him. So I don't see, you know, that could that could be an option, but we're we're thinking it's not going to happen. But no. Well, I, I only bring it up because, I mean, we, we might as well entertain it while it's still technically uh, an option. I mean, it, they haven't closed the door, so it, like I said, it, it's, it doesn't hurt to bring it up for a second. But, yeah, we, we all understand that's not that's not likely. Okay, any final Bruins takes, thoughts, league news takes before we get out of here? Uh, well, I guess we should just quickly mention there was a pretty huge trade in the Eastern Conference, which was the – Penguins getting Eric Carlson from the Sharks in a in a three team deal, and for the sake of time, I won't read through the. Uh, I believe it's twelve pieces that were on the move between the three teams, but obviously the biggest part is the Penguins getting Eric Carlson, which is fascinating because they're obviously a team that you know they're trying to make their one or two final runs while they have Crosby and Malkin, and Carlson is is. A huge addition. Like he had a hundred points last year, won the Norris trophy. We know, you know, he was never a shutdown defenseman. I think in his prime, his defense was better than some people cough. Jack Edwards gave him mm. credit for, but now like his defense actually has slipped. Like it's, it's not good. He is all offense all the time and he is great offensively. Um, but I'm fascinated to see how that fits and what that, does for the penguins because i think i think they got better for sure i think he makes them better but does he make them a cup contender they had let's remember they had a lot of ground to make up they missed the playoffs last year so um and they should not have they should not have and we maybe would have been covering the bruins into june if the penguins if they had drawn the penguins instead of the panthers didn't they lose two games at the end of the season that they needed to win to like 
Columbus and Chicago. Yeah, it was lost brutal. Two of the worst teams in the league to fall out of the playoffs. Yeah, never forget, Bridget. You and I were on that on that same boat. We both said we wanted Pittsburgh, and Scott said he wanted Florida. Yeah, Scott, what the hell do you know? <laughs> no, I wanted Florida <laughs> compared to the Islanders. I didn't. The Islanders were the team I didn't want because oh, I didn't right, want Sorokin. Right, right. Oh, that's I apologize. That's yeah. True. You, we yeah, we, we all wanted Pittsburgh first. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. I knew you wanted Florida with somebody. Yeah, yeah, Pittsburgh. I mean, that's that's the funny thing about about the NHL. It's like the Bruins get Pittsburgh. I mean, I know it's easier said than done. I mean, they lost to the Panthers, but I really do think the Bruins beat them in in five. I mean, mm-hmm. five games, and then you play. I don't even know what the bracket would shake out at that point, but regardless. Um, but they got Toronto. Florida. Instead. I think they would have got. Would it still have been Toronto? I think yeah. So. You probably you probably beat Toronto probably six <laughs> six games too probably seven in Boston, um, but anyway it didn't work out that way so uh, yeah Carlson to Pittsburgh that's interesting it's definitely uh, they're Back trying to in the Eastern Conference they're trying to optimize that uh, that window for for, the, for their players it's almost like Pittsburgh seems to be where the Bruins may have been last year going into last year I mean I don't know how many years Crosby and Malkin have left so we'll see um, yeah Latang too. Latang as well. It's that's that's interesting. Uh, I mean, I've always felt Chris Latang was a was an unbelievable PP one quarterback. Um, you know, I almost wonder, do you not rock the boat too much? And I mean, Crosby has so much chemistry with him. Do you even put Carlson on that first power play instead of Latang? I mean, you're tempted to. I mean, he really. I mean, he's in a league of his own, really, when it comes to providing offense from the back end, especially on the power play. But there's a chemistry factor, too. I'm sure they'll play around with it and, and, and see what it looks like. That's kind of – how do you not? But uh, if Latang's on PP, too, that's a pretty that's a pretty pretty insane quarterback on the second unit. Yeah. They got better. We talked about a lot of teams that got worse uh, and had cap strap issues, but Pittsburgh got better. Yeah, and then I guess the other the other piece of uh, league news is Bruins public enemy number one, Tom Wilson, got honestly just an insane extension. Seven years, six and a half million a year. I am just absolutely flabbergasted at the Capitals for giving out that contract because beyond, like obviously Bruins fans have one view of Tom Wilson, which is like a goon who tries to injure people. Beyond that, like Tom Wilson is a good player. Like I, I'm absolutely not saying he's not good. Like he he brings real value on the ice aside from just potentially knocking someone out. But a six and a half million dollar player into his mid thirties is crazy to me. Like that you're paying him like he's one of your three or four best forwards, and I just especially like going into the post Ovechkin era at some point. Like I just don't see him as that kind of player. I don't see him being one of their offensive leaders for, you know, seven, eight more years because the contract doesn't even kick in until next year. So, um, yeah, that, that one blew me away when I saw the years and term on that. Yeah. From that a health perspective too. Yeah. Like, like how is he going to hold up the way he plays too? Yeah, he, I mean, you can you can dish it, but that usually makes you a bigger target as well on the other end of things. So that's just the kind of style that he plays. And I was I was pretty shocked with the length more than anything else. That's that's too long to give. I mean, how many seconds. how many games did he even play last year due to injury? I mean, he only played for what twenty five, thirty games last year. Yeah, he missed a lot of time last year. So that's just, I mean, look, there. It seems to me like they're paying him to be their next captain, is what it sounds like. That's kind of what it seems to be. He played 33 games. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so that's, I mean. Yeah, and I I guess, you know, try to set the tone. Because he's my age, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I I guess you want him to try to, you know, set the tone, set the culture for sort of the next era. But, man, I just cannot imagine him being, being worth that money. Like, I don't know. I mean, what his average season is what, like 40 to 45 points. That's just, that's not a six and a half million dollar player that you give seven years to. Uh, yeah. His best season was 52 points 
in the 21-22 season. But that's, you know, he played a lot more that season. Not the full season, but – and then other than that, mostly every season he's been below 40. And also missed quite a bit of time (laughs) in those other seasons. Yeah, they're paying. They're paying for more than just than just offense with with that deal. They're 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 paying them to be a leader. I think going forward because it's not it's not for offensive production. Isn't that funny that him and Brad Marchand there's they could both be captains at the same time of their perspective teams <laughs> with that like those well, two I mean, not being looked at as the most mature people for their whole career but now they're you know they're in the point where they might both be captains at the same time i feel like i feel like by the time ovechkin retires so that wilson's captain i I think i don't think martian would still be in boston for one reason or another i mean ovechkin could play until he's 50 and like literally just stand in the left circle and rip one timers (laughs) like yeah that's what he's gonna do yeah it's what he's gonna do yeah i went to a i went to a bruins Capitals preseason game years ago and he played like five minutes straight and just only stood there and I don't even know if he went to the other end of the ice if he was just like was there didn't ever come off the ice (laughs) it's working for him so he's probably Mm -hmm. gonna keep doing it Mm -hmm. all right any final thoughts guys no I'm good Bridget you're good I'm good okay All right. Well, thank you all for listening. We will talk to you very soon.